With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, 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 hey. There are only three games left in the NFL season, and I'm upset, but I'm also not. Because they're usually three of the best games. NFC Championship, AFC Championship, and the gosh darn Super Bowl LIV live in Miami, Florida. Warren, where are you, where is your emotional state right now, the fact that there's only three games left in the NFL season? Um, right there with you, buddy. Right there with you. I'm definitely disappointed. I'm very excited about analyzing playoff games and breaking them down and uh, then studying the games as I'm watching them to figure out, are the teams doing what I thought they were going to do or not? And so I just love this time of the year and, and, and these types of games. So uh, I'm definitely feeling the same way that you are a little bit uh, disappointed that we don't have more of these uh, playoff games, but certainly looking forward to the ones that we do have. Before we get into the games, Chiefs, Titans, Niners, Packers, and Warren has already warned me that he's got some juicy nuggets coming your way. Uh, I just I want to talk about the notion of uh, the way, the analytics that you use and some of the conversations that were happening in the NFL this week, and a lot of it was centering around the Niners and the Vikings. On this show last week, you said that the Niners should have an enormous advantage using 21 personnel, two running backs, one tight end against the Vikings. What was interesting is, I believe BR Gridiron put out that clip, and there was a number of people reacting online Line saying the sample size is too small. Oh, wow. I, I, oh, they're just going to fall apart. This is probably only eight or nine plays. And you are somebody that works with multiple teams in the NFL and you have kind of figured out a successful way to blend analytics with game planning. And I, we, this has been the, the number one season for me in recent memory where people are openly talking about analytics and not in like their own little corners of the internet. It's, you know, expected points per play is now discussed very openly. Um, football outsiders is now, they really should be called football insiders with the way they're talked about. But the notion of sample size and how it related to the Vikings Niners last week was a discussion that I feel like you should be able to address because I think you were right. I think the Niners did destroy them in 21 personnel. Well, we're going to get into the, what the exact numbers were, but the fact of the matter is that this is definitely an issue with, uh, I, I don't want to say the analytics community, but just in general, when you're analyzing the sport of football, uh, a lot of people toss out things with too small of a sample size. They create what their own thresholds are. And when I go to around, when I've gone to teams, right, I go, I've visited a bunch of different teams in the off season. And definitely one of the things that gets brought up pretty consistently um, with some of the analytics guys on those teams, like the full-time guys that the team has hired is, what's your opinion about sample size? How do you approach the issue of sample size? Because 
you know, math people in general have very strong convictions that it needs to meet a certain threshold in order to qualify. But the way that I look at it is completely different. And um, I've had a lot of success analyzing it the way that I look at it. And that is, um, I'm still going to analyze what the numbers show, and I'm going to share those numbers, and I'm going to share whatever convictions I may or may not have. My convictions are going to be based upon the numbers and the fact that I'm watching a shitload of film, and I'm watching these games, and I'm watching every single team play every single game. The Um, practicality of those numbers, the way in which they can be applied. Exactly. And so I've got a better idea as to whether or not I think that this smaller sample size is actually going to factor in and you'll be consistent for this particular game. Can you use the example of the Niners Vikings game to further this discussion? Like how many plays was it in 21 personnel? And then what did it actually turn into with this game? Right. So over the course of the season, when the Minnesota Vikings were faced with runs from 21 personnel. Their defense sucked. They were terrible, but they only faced about 38 of those run plays over the course of the season. Gotcha. So we yeah, share 38 a number that I can definitely see people going. It's that, well, that's not a big number. That's kind of a small sample size. Right. And so what I did is I looked back on a game by game basis. Was this skewed by one or two teams that ran a lot from 21 and the rest of the teams didn't have a lot of success, but Week in and week out, they were faced by, and again, we did this on the show last week, four runs this game, two runs that game, zero runs the next game, six runs, four runs, like right in that range, like peak of like five to six, and sometimes it was zero. Most teams ran at least one or two times from 21, and they continually, consistently were terrible defending 21 over the course of the entire season. And then what happened on Saturday? When they when the 49ers ran against them from 21 personnel, the 49ers averaged an 80% success rate. Wow. 4.9 yards per carry. When the 49ers ran on the Vikings defense from 11 personnel, they averaged a 17% success rate and only 2.5 yards per carry. So it absolutely carried over that the Minnesota Vikings cannot stop the run from heavier sets like 21 personnel and that the 49ers were going to have a distinct advantage running from 21. And all of these guys, you know, I don't want to say a lot of them, but there were certainly guys out there on Twitter who were commenting and joking about the sample size and that's well and good. But guess what? Let's pretend you are working as a consultant or on the staff of Kyle Shanahan. And let's pretend you're actually trying to devise a game plan and a strategy. And I think that's where the sample size gets taken to the next level. What are you going to tell Kyle Shanahan in terms of how you should attack the Minnesota Vikings defense on the ground? Are you going to tell him that I don't have enough of a sample size from 21 personnel to advise you that you should run in 21? So guess what? I don't have any opinions for you. It's fucking week 19. It's the divisional round. The whole season has gone by. And if you don't have anything to tell this coach about how you should attack this opposing defense, then I'm sorry, but you're not doing a very good job as advising the coach. I have to come out and advise coaches week one what they should do, right? right? Without any data at all. I have to come out and advise them weeks three, weeks four, when the sample size truly is minuscule. You have to figure out how you're going to deal with 
the small sample size issue. That's why the context is so big to one, understanding the game two understanding situational football and three. I think the thing you, you said there that made the most sense is not the, the total number, but the frequency that it happens week to week. Are there trends there? The, the, the discussion got very interesting with Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator from that game, going to the Cleveland Browns, and the notion that the analytics team that they have there with Paul DePodesta is going to be meeting with the coach on Fridays, and it was paramount in the hiring of the coach that he would allow them to oversee the playbook on Friday and people were upset. It's the, the, the clashing of I'm a football guy and I know what works and I'm not going to listen to a bunch of nerds telling me what plays I can and can't run on Sunday. But I know from hearing you talk about your relationship with coaches, one, this is not new. Two, this isn't that crazy. And three, I think people are making it a little bit bigger than it is. So what do you think would actually happen when Kevin Stefanski on a Friday with the Cleveland Browns goes with the analytics team? How would that work? Yeah, first, and you're exactly right. When he would go, and I can only speak from my experience dealing with other teams, so I don't know what would happen in this particular instance, but this is not something completely unique. This is stuff that's done at other teams that are smart around the league. And he's basically going to present them how he plans to attack this uh, defense, you know, from an offensive perspective or vice versa, how the defense is going to game plan against that opposing offense. And, you know, the analytics guys aren't sitting there. I mean, again, this is just from what I know. They're not sitting there overruling Stefanski and say like, well, this is wrong. You can't do that because of this. They're basically looking at what the information they have and trying to get a better understanding as to why he wants to do that. And they're throwing in some supporting data points, maybe that, that, you know, there's never a game. I'll just tell you this. There's never a game plan that a coach goes in with that says like, these are the eight things I'm doing. This is what my script's going to be like. And we're not deviating at all. Right. There's always going to be like, well, if they try this, we're going to react here. We're going to set some of this up with that. And so there's always room for additional input and kind of, um, I don't want to say even compromise, but just like other ideas being tossed into. Isn't it the- though like the pairing of, let's say you have, hey, by the way, this team is is really susceptible to 21. And then he can look at the plays that he's liked the most and gone over with his quarterback and go, okay, well then maybe I'll put a little bit more emphasis on these plays that are in 21. Can't, it, isn't it not an overruling, but more of like a magnifying of what will work in that play scheme? Well, that typically is going to occur much earlier in the week. So the analytics group. That's what you present to the coaches on like Monday. Yeah, on, like on, well, actually, like in some cases, the week before the game. So you're going to play, let's say, week 15. Before you even have your week 14 game on like that Friday and Saturday. That's those, when you give him the notes. Yeah, those teams are already starting. Those analytics groups are already starting the prep for the game, not in two days, but the week after that, because they already finished their play. So I'm providing them information that then they're digesting and then they're going to push up the ladder uh, to the coach when they start coming up on Monday morning and Sunday night, even sometimes with what their game plan is going to be. So that guy, that coach is already in the, or the OC is already incorporated. Yeah. 
and understood where some of those issues are. The meeting that would occur, let's pretend it's with the owner. I think that's what people were most irritated right. by. Oh my God, you're going to sit down with the owner and like the owner is going to hear about your game plan and your strategy. And, and, um, that has happened. Like that does happen at some other teams and I can a hundred cowboys, but, and it's definitely something that, um, the owner is just trying to kind of get an understanding of this is what the guy wanted to do. Then I'm going to watch the game and I'm going to see if he was able to accomplish that or did he not follow his game plan or was the defense really good? And then what did he have to do after that? You're trying to, as an owner, you know, you're responsible for hiring and firing guys. You sign off in most cases, yeah. the OCs that get hired. So you're trying to figure out, does this guy have a, have a game plan? Is he able to adapt, adjust? Is his game plan sound? Like you're not sitting there telling him, well, you definitely can't do that. Why are you doing that? You're so stupid. I want like, you to run the ball more. Yeah. Yeah, like they're not they're not doing that type of thing. They're no. just trying to get an understanding so they can be more intelligent when they go about evaluating after the game. Also, if I'm Haslam and I have these pockets of people that keep telling me who's good and who's not, you reach a point where let me go to the meeting and let me see who is good and let me see who does have leadership skills and let me see if I didn't spend the right money because Haslam right now is paying a lot of coaches that are not currently on staff. And you reach a point where it's like, I need to be my own feet on the ground, my own boots on the ground, and actually hear what's going on. Let's talk about the stuff that matters. I just wanted to explain that to people because it was such a big topic. I'm going to set uh, 20 minutes uh, for each of these games because we only have two games. Uh, and my first big question is, I know everyone's talking about, is Mike Vrabel going to have to cut his dick off? The question they should be asking, and my friend Drew Franklin asked, has Mike Vrabel already cut off the dick? And is that the reason the Titans are doing this? That's the question that people aren't asking. Don't answer that question, Warren. I'm only kidding. But I think it is pretty funny. Is What if he's actually had it off this entire time, and that's the reason the Titans have been great? It is going to be Tennessee at Kansas City. Tennessee has beaten the Chiefs this year. It was in Tennessee. Um, I, I really want to start off on uh, – the, the Titans' offensive side of the ball because I feel like they need to really set the tone. Um, but if you want to talk weather and you want to talk EDSR, that's probably the best place to start. Um, yeah, so let's first discuss weather because that is the best place to start. And fortunately, we don't have as much, as many rather, okay. difficult weather uh, situations and actually some really good weather situations. So with regard to um, Kansas City, uh, what we're going to get is cold, very cold uh, temps. Uh, what's this? Two hundred five local kickoff. So the most recent forecast, we're looking at between eighteen and nineteen degree temperatures. Okay. At, it's going to feel like between seven to eight degrees, Damn. but there's going to no precipitation at all, which obviously would be in the form of snow. We're going to have no winds to deal with. Uh, we're looking at um, nine to ten mile per hour winds with gusts only uh, 15 to 17 miles per hour. Can you imagine trying to tackle Derrick Henry when your body is cold? Like, I, that just doesn't sound fun. I feel like somebody's, like, arms are going to shatter. Well, it's definitely it, – the hits that you take when it's that cold, you, your body feels them more. Uh, there's a science behind it. I'm, I'm sure there's, like, actual, literally science behind it, but yeah. – um, I have not 
read the studies from a scientist, but just from what you see and hear, uh, it definitely feels a lot different when you're taking those blows from guys uh, when it's that cold outside. I am seeing a seven-point line uh, towards the Chiefs. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yes. Okay. 100% right on seven. There's only a couple of seven and a halfs, but almost entirely sevens. All right. Uh, how about EDSR uh, for Chiefs, Titans, traditional and trending? Who does it favor? So in both cases, it does favor the Kansas City Chiefs, whether you're looking at season long or the trending of note is the fact that the trending is only taking into account a few games and the fact that the Tennessee Titans have been able to run the football a lot. And so that they haven't really tried to bypass third downs often, which you typically do when you pass the ball. Ryan Tannehill isn't throwing for over 100 yards. So naturally, their offensive EDSR is not going to be quite as good. Uh, but definitely does favor the Chiefs, but only slightly. Chris Jones banged up, uh, didn't practice Wednesday. We'll see availability and how how that calf is doing. Uh, that side of the ball, Titans offense, got to keep Mahomes off the field, matching up with the Chiefs defense. Um, what what do you see in there? What interests you the most? I think it's going to be the run game. You know, we talked about how cold it's going to be, but that's almost besides the point that's just like icing on top of the cake here. The issue is, can you stop Derrick Henry? Because you get Derrick Henry going, the pass game works off of that. Um, and that's the weakness of the Kansas City Chiefs. Chris Jones, obviously massive. He did not practice on Wednesday. We'll see if they get him back on Thursday. He missed the last week's game with injury. Um, but Kansas City you're going to have to figure out how we're going to stop this run game because if you can't stop it, and the thing about, the cool thing about the Titans run game is that it's not traditional rushing like most teams where, you know, it's just a few yards here and there. These are explosive plays. The way that they're dialed up, the personnel groupings that they're using, uh, there's always the threat of play action to go over the top. They're the most heavy play action usage team in the NFL. So you never really know if it's a hundred percent run in this situation. You're always wondering in the back of your mind. And uh, that allows the like air disguise for the the Arthur Brown Arthur Smith and this offense of the Tennessee Titans. So you're going to have to stop the run if you're the Chiefs. Bottom line, they didn't do it in the first meeting. No. Uh, and I don't know that they're going to have much better success in this game. Chris Jones did play in the last meeting, had two sacks uh, for a combined 19 yards. But Derrick Henry, when they played last time, 23 carries, 188 yards, and two touchdowns. Along of the day for him was a 68-yard touchdown, which really set the tone. All right, so I, I get the running game, but like, do you is it is there any interesting things with like formational stuff there? Uh, how how like who who does it and who is the advantage go to on that side of the ball? Who do you have more faith in right now, Warren? Well, if you let's the biggest thing here is just the strength of schedule. If you look at over the second half of the season, over their last like eight games, who Kansas City has played, they haven't played any good rushing offenses, zero that rank in the top 10, many of which that rank in the bottom 10. If you're talking about the Chargers, the Raiders, the Patriots, the Broncos, the Bears, and the Chargers once again, you've got a lot, none of these teams even rank top half of the league in rushing efficiency on offense. The last time that they played a good rushing offense 
was when they played the Tennessee Titans back in week 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only other times that they've played decent rushing offenses on the course of the entire season was the Green Bay Packers back in week eight. Green Bay won that game. Obviously, that was a Matt Moore started game for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Indianapolis Colts, who won that game outright because they were able to run the ball. And by the way, they also played a lot of uh, uh, man coverage in that game. And then the Baltimore Ravens, who gave the Chiefs another great scare. And that was an epic game, high scoring game. So every single one of these games, uh, the other team who's been able to run the ball with a decent run offense has kept the game close, if not one outright, um, and was able to produce points. So there's no doubt that... Um, They use a lot of different heavier set formations and the Kansas City Chiefs struggle to defend runs from 12 and runs from 13, which the Titans do a lot of. And then they also use a lot of great play action out of those 12 and 13 personnel sets. Um, You see, if you remember the game last week against the Baltimore Ravens, Baltimore early in that game, I think it was the start of the second quarter, went for it on fourth and one in their own territory and they did not get it. And the first play out of that, the Tennessee Titans were in heavy personnel, used play action, threw a shot pass down the middle of the field to a wide receiver that probably most of the people watching TV had never even heard of and probably didn't have very many catches on the year. Boom, touchdown, just like that. So if you think they're going to run the ball, they can stick Derrick Henry back there, go in a heavier set. But they're just as likely their play action rates like 50 percent on. Have you been have you been impressed with Arthur Smith and the way he uses heavy personnel sets and takes those shots? Absolutely. I mean, what my big concern with Arthur Smith coming in here, especially the stuff that he said in the offseason, was that he didn't feel the need to change a whole lot up from what they were doing last year with Matt LaFleur. And I didn't like what Matt LaFleur was doing with this offense, and I didn't have high expectations for the Titans. And when you combine a coach who, an offense coordinator like Arthur Smith, who wanted to sort of do some of those same things with the fact that Marcus Mariota is still the quarterback, I thought the Tennessee Titans were probably going to have trouble eclipsing eight wins. Me too. You know, I was a little bit down on them. And, of course, I, like we both would have been right had they not had Mike Vrabel not made the super intelligent great decision to go with the new quarterback of Ryan Tannehill and bench Marcus Mariota. And that was like the turning point clearly for the season after that 16 to zero loss out in Denver. So when I hear Baltimore Ravens players talk about how they were really trying to load the box and they really couldn't do anything, even though like they kind of knew they were going to run the ball. um, It sounds like Titans are going to have success. It it does flat out. There, there's no, I don't see any way possible. It's just hard to, the numbers certainly don't show that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be able to stop this run game. Their defense doesn't match up well enough. And there's that's the interesting part about both of these teams, and actually, quite frankly, all four of these teams that are playing this weekend. There's no real glaring injuries or losses on the offensive side of the football. Normally, this time of year, we're getting to this, there's a guy who got injured. There's a guy who's playing injured. There's a guy who's absent. You know, Tennessee's got all their horses. Actually, Adam Humphreys, their slot wide receiver, who's missed, I mean, most of the season, he started practicing in a limited basis. Now, I think that I would be shocked if he was good enough to play this weekend. Maybe they're just seeing if he could go for the Super Bowl. But like these teams are very healthy. And so there's no weaknesses along that offensive line or the run game. It's going to lead me to think that 
the Tennessee Titans are not going to have success running the football. So the only way that the Kansas City Chiefs could possibly try to get them out of the ability to run the football is one of two things. Get up big on the scoreboard. Yep. Okay. Or have it be a late game situation where you're down by 10, let's say. And then in the fourth quarter, you're forced to pass the ball a little bit more. It, barring those two scenarios, I don't even think if you're down 10 points or 13 points in the second quarter, the Tennessee Titans are turning away from Derrick Henry. Like This is a team that's going to continue to get a fair amount of run utility out of Derrick Henry. Um, you can, if you're able to, limit the explosive run gains you might be able to mm. extend that lead a little bit further because part of what they do is they're, they're going to drain on you. They're going to wear on you. They're going to wear you down with the rushing attack as they're running the football. And then, boom, here's a big explosive run. Um, right. You look at the last time they played. Chiefs went up 10 nothing, uh, and they were eight, the Titans were able to keep it close, 10-17. Then they went up 13-10. That's the way that I've been explaining to people is – if the Titans get a lead, you know what they're going to do. If the Chiefs get a lead, I don't know if the Titans can get back. How do you see this Chiefs offense that put on an absolute clinic last week, dropping 51 on the Texans and all the wide receivers looking great? It's interesting. How do you think they're going to fare against a Tennessee Titans defense that has really, that's the part of the Titans that surprised me. I thought the Patriots were going to have success underneath throwing against the Titans because I thought that was the weakness of the Titans. I definitely thought Lamar Jackson and that passing offense was going to be able to have continued sustained success. That side of the ball has what's really surprised me for the Titans. How do they match up with the Chiefs and vice versa uh, from the KCO perspective? And, and, and before we dig into that, just one final point to make from a numbers basis on what the Tennessee Titans do. A lot of people have this uh, false impression that the Tennessee Titans are like absolutely run based and they're just going to come out here and run the football and like 75% of their plays are going to be run plays. And that's not true at all. In that game in week 10, when they played in the first quarter of that game, they had five rushes and four passes. In the second quarter, they had four rushes and four passes. In the third quarter, five to five. They were a team that ended up running the ball a lot more in the fourth quarter, but they're very balanced early on. So don't expect like Derrick Henry, them to just like turn around as if they have no quarterback and can't pass the ball and just run, 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 run. They are going to be very balanced. Now on the other side of the ball, you're absolutely right that, look, the Kansas City Chiefs, they definitely should scare the Tennessee Titans defense a little bit more and the passing attack should scare them a little bit more. But let's go back and look at some of these um, some of these offenses. I think the Tennessee Titans have been very fortunate with who they've gone up against um, over the course of like the last five or six weeks. They played, let's work in reverse chronological order. So start with the game that they just played. They played the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens are a run first team that's built to pass out of heavier sets once they've established more of a lead in a game. Mike Vrabel, to his credit, did a brilliant job of preventing Lamar Jackson from running north and south up the middle of the field, forced him laterally and really slowed down and impacted that run game. And that then caused, with a very 
aggressive game plan and some nice big shot plays, a ridiculous touchdown that they had um, at the sideline there uh, for the tight end and Johnny Smith and then the big play over the top that we talked about earlier, they built a quick lead, right? And that kind of pulled Baltimore out of what they wanted to do. And I think Baltimore maybe should have stuck with what they wanted to do a little bit more of. But what ended up happening, this is interesting, Baltimore on the season is an offense that uses 11 personnel to pass the ball just 47% of the time, one of the lowest rates in the league. The league average is like 69%. They use it only 47% of the time. But 84% of their passes came from 11 personnel in the second half, uh, sorry, overall in the game, 90% in the second half, and 100% of their 25 attempts, they dropped back and threw the ball 25 times in the fourth quarter out of nothing but 11 personnel. Okay, that is they they completely panicked. That's absolutely not their most efficient way to attack a defense is just to spread you out at 11 and use that for 25 straight pass attempts. Okay, but that's exactly what Baltimore ended up having to do late in that game. Now, how were those passes bad? 6.1 yards per attempt. But overall, how was their offense overall? Their offense, they drove. Listen to this. the, The fact that they walked away with 12 points is pretty ridiculous. They drove the ball besides the touchdown to the four-yard line, the 16-yard line, the 18-yard line, the 21-yard line, twice to the 31-yard line, and once to the 36-yard line. That's seven drives inside the 36 that did not, and they didn't get a single touchdown out of any of those seven drives. They walked away with two field goals. Wow on seven drives inside the 36. Justin Tucker can kick a field goal from the 36. And that was and that was last week's game, you're telling me. Last week. So game. you're telling me that the Ravens offense that everybody was saying was so bad, like when you really look at where they were able to drive down, they were having success, they just didn't finish. They kicked they had three turnovers on downs and two interceptions when they drove to wow. the 36 or closer to the end zone. And they had seven drives inside of the 36, many inside the red zone that gained them a total on the seven drives of 12 points. Right. So two, two things to take away from that game. Number one, they passed the ball a shitload out of 11, and they are not accustomed to doing that. And number two, they had a lot of successful drives, but they just didn't finish in points. Back up the week before that, here's another added benefit for this Tennessee Titans defense that doesn't show up on the scoreboard. They play the New England Patriots. They're a team that also doesn't use very much 11. Who do they have outside of Julian Edelman to catch the football from 11? Nobody. They don't really have any good pass catchers. The Titans, they shifted to 80% passes out of 11 personnel in the second half. Those passes averaged just 4.7 yards per attempt and a 33% success rate for Tom Brady. So they went... Massive shift to 11, just like the Baltimore Ravens did. They're not good at throwing out of 11, and they didn't score a single point in that second half. The week before that was a game against the Houston Texans that didn't matter at all for Houston. Houston offense didn't do anything. What happened the week before that? They played two games in back-to-back weeks, week 16 and week 15. They played two teams that can throw the ball a little bit out of 11, the New Orleans Saints and the Houston Texans. Both of those teams beat the Tennessee Titans. Breeze posted 10 yards per attempt and a 48% success rate with a 119 rating when he was passing out of 11 and scored 38 points there. And the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson, he posted nine yards per attempt and a 56% success rate when he was passing the ball on these guys. So 
the bottom line and here. How are the Chiefs with 11 personnel? The Chiefs have actually shifted more to 11 personnel this year because of Nicole Hardman than they have in the past, but they're still using more 12 than, than the league average. They're using a lot more 12. So I'll break down the 11 in a second, but just, just real quick against 12. The Tennessee Titans defense is the worst pass defense in the NFL defending 12 personnel. Timeout. You don't mean the last four remaining. You mean of all 32 teams, the personnel that the Chiefs use the most, one running back, two tight ends, the Titans are the worst defense in the NFL at defending that. Correct. The Tennessee Titans are the worst defense in the NFL. They are allowing 8.8 yards per attempt and a 57% success rate to passes from 12 personnel. And the Kansas City Chiefs rank inside the top five in terms of pass rate out of when uh, pass rate from 12 personnel out of all the personnel groupings. So they use it a lot. Hey, it- um, I'm going to call you back because I have to call my bookie. Uh, because that sounds like a mismatch, Warren. Holy that's a, crap. That's a, that's a big mismatch. As long as Travis Kelsey is healthy here, right? He was limited right. in practice with his knee, and I think it was more like a hamstring, but they called it a knee on the injury report. Um, so, so that's going to be an issue. But the great thing, and I tweeted this out during the game last week when the, uh, the Houston Texans got that big lead. I said, you know what? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. The Andy Reid's Kansas City Chiefs are a pass-first offense because they're built to pass the ball when they're trailing. The Baltimore Ravens or the New England Patriots or these teams that get down and have to shift to like massive amounts of 11 personnel that they're completely unaccustomed to using is highly problematic. But the Kansas City Chiefs, I mentioned, they're using a slight bit more 11 than they have in the last couple of seasons, and they're very successful out of 11. They're capable of passing the ball out of 11. They're not going to be scared to pass out of 11 if they have to do so a lot against this Tennessee Titans defense, and they're going to have success. Um, The other interesting thing here to note, what we talked about last game was the fact that if you do switch to a lot of man, which guess what? The the, the uh, Houston Texans did switch to a lot more man against um, Patrick Mahomes, just like they had done early in this season. Right, because this was supposedly the weakness. Mahomes deep versus man. It's not even close to as good as Mahomes deep versus zone. Right, exactly. Last week versus Houston, some people were like, oh, well, you know, Tyreek Hill's healthy, and so they're going to have a lot of success. Passes when he threw the ball against man coverage within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, a 53% success rate. He threw four touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 123 passer rating. Now, Mahomes was still good throwing the ball deeper against man, but it was a 50% success rate and only a 94 passer rating. So he still had success, but he was better, more efficient, and that's where all of his touchdown passes came, throwing the ball short against man coverage. I don't see a weakness here. When Tennessee first, uh, when Tennessee played them last game in Week Ten, Tennessee went fifty-three percent zone, and Patrick Mahomes actually killed them in man from a uh, success rate and a yards per attempt perspective. He threw both touchdowns against man, had a sixty-seven percent success rate. Um, but when they did play zone, which they did a little bit more, only a forty-eight percent success rate, so not as good as the sixty-seven percent against man. Um, but he still averaged nine yards per attempt. So he's going to have success whether the Titans choose to use man or zone. 
Um, I definitely don't think that the scheme that Tennessee used last week to confuse Lamar Jackson is going to work here. Um, so I likewise see a lot of opportunity for success for this Kansas City offense, because what is Tennessee's strength? You know, that was the thing um, we, when we looked at the game last week. Tennessee is number 10 on the season against the run. They're number 21 against the pass, right? And the problem was they went up against a team that wanted to run the ball a lot. Um, and, you know, then they're not used to throwing the ball out of 11 personnel. Here, you're going up against a team that is the most pass-heavy team in the NFL that doesn't care that you're number 10 defending the run. They're not going to run all that much anyways. They're going to attack your 21st, almost bottom 10 pass defense. And I see a lot of room for success, whether it's man versus zone, whether he's throwing short or deep. Um, and it's definitely, in my opinion, not going to go the same way that it went earlier in the last few weeks for the Titans defense, which has had the benefit of playing a lot of these really uh, bad offenses that struggle if they're losing and they have to go to pass and they just go 11 with three wides and can't really be effective that way. Chiefs are minus seven as we wrap up. The over-under is 53. Uh, and I can see that it opened at 51 and a half. It's been up, been up to 53. I do see some seven and a halfs, but seven a lot of places. Any of those uh, jump out to you? Yeah, I, I like the over in this game. Um, I actually grabbed it when it was at 53. Um, 53 sorry, or I, 51 and a half? I actually grabbed it at 51. Wow. Laid 15 cents, I believe, and we grabbed it at 51, which is somewhat of a key number. Now at 53, from a math-based perspective, I don't see any advantage in the line to go over at 53 right now. Um, I was actually talking to Crack yesterday about the 25 and a half in the first half. Um, I think that the way this game goes is because the te Tennessee Titans are not like super run heavy early in games. Um, they tend to do that more later. I don't necessarily think that, th that the first half under is the way to look here. But I'm not in love with the first half over because I think if Kansas City gets a lead here and forces the Titans to throw the ball a little bit more, as long as the lead's not insurmountable, right, where it's really inefficient passing, I think there's going to be a balance, but not skewed as run heavy in that fourth quarter. I think this full game over is probably the way to look, more so than the first half total. I also We also know that Andy Reid is really good with extra time to prepare, which he had for the game last week, which he does not have for this particular game. Um, so I think there is a chance for a little bit more of like a feeling out process to see what the Tennessee Titans may have adjusted defensively. Um, and, and so the offense for Kansas City may not come out blitzkrieg style, but I still think end of the day, this thing gets over that total. Um, from a sides perspective, I think it's tight. I, I really do think that the Tennessee Titans are going to be able to run the ball pretty effectively over the course of the entire game. Keep Ryan Tannehill a little bit clean in the pocket. I think that the Tennessee Titans offer a slight bit of value here. You think the seven's too fat of a number? Yeah. If if, I, if you made me pick right now here on the show, I'd, I'd lean with the Tennessee Titans plus the seven. I, I've been saying all week I think Kansas City blows them out. I really do. But... Man, I just the, – because the thing is, is we have now seen, to wrap this up before we get to the next game, Tennessee cause 
two teams in Baltimore, New England to completely alter their mindset and bend to their will. And if Tennessee goes up big on the Chiefs, like you were just saying, that the Chiefs love that shit. Like, oh, we need to pass to get back? That's great. My, but the, what I kept saying yesterday with Deal and Westbrook was, if the Chiefs establish the lead, we don't know how Arthur Smith is going to react to that. Do they suddenly go to a lot of 11? Does it put them in a bind? Are they, uh, do they have to abandon Derrick Henry? Have they shown that even when they go down, they will not abandon Derrick Henry? And that's the uncertainty about take, having confidence in the Titans, Warren, that I'm going to be dealing with when I'm thinking about this game on Sunday. Yeah, and, and let me just share with you a couple of numbers here um, as I'm, I'm doing this on the fly. Uh, since week 13, uh, which was, uh, let's see, the Tennessee Titans played the Colts that game. Um, when Tennessee has trailed in a game, when Tennessee has trailed in the game and they go uh, to the pass, and I don't know if we maybe just say what, what do they do in the second quarter. I'll include the run-pass splits here. but. In the last two quarters of the game, when they go more pass heavy, when they when they have to, fifty one percent success rate, seven point five yards per attempt. Okay, so remember those numbers: a fifty one percent, sorry, fifty six percent success rate passing the football, seven point five yards per attempt when they're trailing in the second half, and most of those passes do come from eleven personnel. But when they have the lead in the second half. And they choose to pass the football. Let's let's see what their numbers are. I'm running this filter real time, so yeah, sure. Bear, bear with me, but this is stuff I love talking about. Um, they're averaging eight yards per pass attempt uh, and a fifty percent success rate. So say, they are say a that, little on, bit. Say more the percent success rate again. Fifty. Fifty. So slightly less efficient, um, but they are having good yards per attempt. Uh, even when they when they've got the lead, so I think this is a team. Even when they're down, that they're still going to be able to pass the football a little bit more effectively. The thing about what they're doing when they've got a lead in the second half of games, they're using a lot more like twelve and heavy sets to gain some of those pass plays. But when they're using twelve, uh, this is digging into the weeds. They're very inefficient. They're really good passing the ball out of eleven personnel, like on some of those third downs. Even with a lead and they go 11, they're gaining uh, 62% success and 9.3 yards per attempt. So passing with a lead out of 11, they're really good. Um, But they're less, obviously, proficient when they're passing with a lead out of 12. Mm. Uh, And I just think it's a team that if you can get some opportunities uh, and they don't fall so far behind, they don't fall like they're behind by... 12 points, you know, 13, 14 points like that. If it's within like 13 points, in my opinion, 10 to 13 points, they're still going to run Derrick Henry. I don't think they're going to change their philosophy that much, but you are right. We don't know for certain what Arthur Smith is going to do, right? Might he cut out just 11 nonstop and throw the football a ton? That's not what's going to be beneficial. Yeah, and also I have to admit that I think that there's been no team that I have been more inaccurate in terms of betting their games this year than the Tennessee Titans. So listening to me talk about this game is probably not the right thing to do because uh, I just, I'm having flashbacks of money I've lost this year, either betting against the Titans or betting for them. You know, you just, it's not syncing up. That's my team this year. 
Niners, though, I've been all over, and it's felt really good. Niners taking on the Packers. This will be the second game, the NFC Championship game. Weather, I imagine it's going to be beautiful. I imagine it's not going to be a factor, correct? That's correct. I'll pull up the live weather right now uh, because things do change, and I want to make sure we're giving you the exact right information. Um, Sunday afternoon in in um, California, yeah, we've got 56 degrees, 55 degrees, no rain, and winds only 9 miles per hour with gusts of 11. So Perfect. we're in good shape. EDSR of this matchup has to be favoring the Niners by a landslide. Niners by more than what it was favoring the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but still so, not that big, huh? Well, it's 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 a it's a pretty sizable amount. Um, the problem with the Green Bay Packers is their defense, uh, especially in the second half of games, and their offense. So in the first half of games, they've been better defensively, better offensively. But in the second half, they're worse in both scenarios. And EDSR trending favors the Niners even more than to the full season. All right, so before we started recording today, and I'm going to set the timer for 20 minutes, Warren said that he had three monster nuggets about the 49ers offense taking on Green Bay. This is an offense led by Kyle Shanahan that coached under Mike Pettin. So the familiarity is there. And I remember earlier this year, Warren really emphasized that when Kyle Shanahan has faced somebody recently, it could be disastrous because that's because Kyle is a human computer with an one function, and that is to kill your defense. So I'm going to toss it over to you, Warren. What is the first big interesting nugget about the Niners offense taking on this Packers pet and D? The first big thing is that the San Francisco 49ers are going to have a lot of success throwing the football in between the numbers, and that is one of the biggest problems for the Green Bay Packers defense. Um, to set the stage for this, over the second half of the season, if you throw the ball between the numbers on Green Bay secondary, you're averaging a 56% success rate and 8.5 yards per attempt. When you throw outside the numbers, 56% drops down to 41%, and 8.5 yards per attempt drops down to 6.1 yards per attempt. Last week, the Seattle Seahawks, in the first half of that game, only threw four out of 12 targeted passes between the numbers. On those passes, they averaged 14 yards per attempt and a 75% success rate. When they threw the ball outside the numbers, which they did a little bit more often, they average a 38% success rate and only 6.1 yards per attempt. So once again, they were much more efficient even last week throwing the ball between the numbers. They just didn't do it very much over the course of the entire game. Yeah. When, Francisco threw, when the Seattle Seahawks threw the ball between the numbers, they had 73% success and 9.1 yards per attempt. And I feel like Kyle Shanahan lives in the middle of the field, and that goes right to the Niners' offense. A hundred percent, and we can't get more diametrically opposed than we've got when we talk about you just played Seattle, now you're going to play San Francisco. And what do I mean by that? On the season, Seattle throws between the numbers 43% of the time in the first half. That is the least of the NFL, the least rate to throw the ball between the numbers. The, green, the uh, San Francisco 49ers on the season throw there 64% of the time 
That is the most in the NFL. So it is a massive weakness for the Green Bay Packers defense protecting the defense in the secondary to passes across the middle of the field between the numbers. And they just played a team who throws their the least in the NFL. Now they have to play a team that throws their the most in the NFL. When they last played in week 12, because we got a game to look at, how did it how did it go when they last played? Between the numbers, listen to this. They threw their 15 out of 19 attempts. Jimmy G, 15.5 yards per attempt, a 67% success rate, two touchdowns, and a perfect 158.3 rating. When Jimmy G threw the ball outside of the numbers, he only did it four times, 5.3 yards per attempt down from 15, a 50% success rate down from 67, no touchdowns, and a 66 rating. So what do we have here? We have a defense who stinks defending the middle of the field. We have an offense that does it the most of the NFL. And we have an offense that's already gone up against this team and crushed them, throwing the ball to the middle of the field in the last meeting. Not only did they crush them, you saw that Kyle Shanahan was very understanding that this is where we're going to crush these guys through their 15 out of 19 attempts. George Kittle, six catches, 129 yards, and a touchdown. And when you start talking about that middle of the field, you go, I wonder where George Kittle plays. Makes a lot of sense. That's the first big nugget. The fact that there's more nuggets is making me feel really confident about the Niners right now. What is your second big nugget that you found about the Niners offense against the Packers D? Okay, so the second big nugget is the usage of pre-snap motion. Which is Kyle Shanahan has been the best in the NFL in this for a very long time. Precisely. Uh, And on the season, Green Bay allows 15% more success to passes with pre-snap motion and nearly four more yards per attempt when that team uses pre-snap motion. Now, to show you how terrible those numbers are, the league average is to allow 1% more success and a half a yard more per pass attempt when pre-snap motion is employed. This defense is allowing 15% and almost four yards per attempt worse. How how do you explain that? Is that a personnel thing where it's just kind of scaring them, or is it because with Green Bay, you're exposing more of what they're playing, and thus it's easier to tackle? How do you explain those numbers? It's a little bit of both. If you watch the Seattle game, when Seattle was using pre-snap motion, there's a lot of switches and the defense is trying to adjust and communicate as to who's got who and what, how they're traveling. And then the green, the, uh, their defense just is not as fundamentally sound against the pass after that type of motion. And in addition, your last statement that you're giving information to the quarterback. So he's now processing some of what you're doing. Um, Here's the problem with what Seattle did last week. When we talk about, because I'm going to tie all of these back to what just happened. Yeah, sure. Uh, with Seattle. And expect next, this upcoming week. When Seattle used pre-snap motion, they had a 100% success rate, 10.3 yards per attempt, a touchdown and a 149 passer rating. And they only used it four times. When In they the didn't whole use whole game? Ahead of pass plays, they only used it four times in the whole game. Come on, shoddy. Without pre-snap motion, they only average a 47% success rate. Now, 8.7 yards per attempt is still good, but it's not as good. as, And a 77 passer rating down from a 149. Now, they used it 32 attempts. 
without pre-snap motion. In addition, one of the big things is five sacks. All five sacks came on plays where there was no pre-snap motion. Um, so Damn. How, what about the rates? How often are these teams using pre-snap motion over the course of the season? Well, the reason why Seattle didn't use it a lot is because it's a little bit foreign to them. They only use it seventh least of any team in the NFL. They're well below NFL average in terms of usage rate of pre-snap motion. The average is 44%. 44% of pass plays, uh, 44% of all plays come with pre-snap motion. Green Bay is 70, I'm sorry, San Francisco is 71%. They're the number one most heavy pre-snap so motion good. offense in the NFL. So you've got a defense. Why that, would you not, like, I don't know why teams don't do it every play. Like, it, all, oh. all it is is a benefit. Oh, now I get to see if you're man-to-man or zone. Oh, I make the defenders have to communicate with each other. Oh, we now we have to shift the linemen. Oh, now we're making them think. Like, I just don't know why you don't move a guy every snap, unless you're in a hurry up. The, the one thing that I said on Twitter, when because I posted a video of them showing how Kyle Shanahan's using the pre-snap motion to influence the game, and even some post snap motion uh, more than just st- standard play action, but movement of receivers or tight ends or players. Um, pre-snap motion is free. It costs nothing. nothing. It also, the coolest thing about it, it takes no talent. I'd be perfect as a wide receiver running pre-snap motion, right? Like you don't have to have any talent. You just have to have a guy move across and the defense has to try to adjust and talk about it. So it's free to use. It takes no talent. Absolutely more teams should be using it more than 44%. But it's, guess what? It's They're honestly... Pre- the the team that we're talking about defending right now, it's something that the, the reason I've enjoyed Matt LaFleur with the Packers is in that game last week, I was surprised the amount of preset motion they were doing. Jimmy Graham was resetting up the entire time, and and usually Aaron Rodgers sitting there with a very stagnant two, three wide receiver set. I've enjoyed it. Okay, that's two of the nuggets. Uh, okay, so preset Wait, motion, get- throwing between the numbers. You got one more point on that? One more point on that, and which is to tie it back to what happened when they last played. When they played in Week 12 and Jimmy G used pre-snap motion ahead of a pass play, 73% success rate, 13.7 yards per attempt. And when they used it ahead of run plays, those run plays gained 6.2 yards per carry. So in conclusion, we know that Green Bay sucks when you use pre-snap motion. We know that Seattle last week had a lot of success using pre-snap motion, but did not use it very often because they're one of the least frequent teams to use it. We know that the San Francisco 49ers are the most pre-snap motion heavy team in the NFL. And by the way, when they played last time, they had a lot of success with it. So piecing all this together, they should be using a lot of pre-snap motion and having a lot of success against the Green Bay Packers secondary with it. And you have another nugget. Like after the fact that... Kyle Shanahan throws to the middle of the field more than anybody and does the most pre-snap motion. And those are like the two main weaknesses of the Packers. The fact that there's a third. Um, crap. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to be magical. So, What's the third? He, he is going to have to be magical. Um, the third one is play action. So Green Bay Packers defensive play action splits, they are the number one most sensitive defense to play action over the second half of the season. Slink down while I tell the people. I got a cramp. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, keep going. (laughs) Okay. So when you don't use play action against this Mike Pettin defense over the second half of the season, you're only producing a 38% success rate. Your passes are only gaining 5.2 yards per attempt. And guess what? In the first half of games, you are 
allowing a 10% sack rate, okay? 10% sack rate. When you do use play action in the first half of games, 38% success jumps up to 60. 5.2 yards per attempt jumps up to 9.7, and they have zero sacks. A 0% sack rate when you're using play action in the first half of games whereas they are they have a 10% sack rate when you don't use play action. So, let's look at what Seattle did last week in the first half. When they use play action and the numbers it's crazy, but the numbers are identical. The success rate is identical with what Green Bay was averaging over the course of the second half of the season. Seattle had a 60% success rate with play action, 10.4 yards per attempt and zero sacks. When they didn't use play action, a 38% success rate, 6.6 yards per attempt, and three sacks on 14 dropbacks. That's a 21% sack rate. Over the course of the entire game, they used play action 13 times. Russ was not sacked a single time. When they used standard dropbacks without play action, he was sacked five times on 28 dropbacks. That's an 18% sack rate. The yards per attempt, the success rate, I mean, the success rate, he went from 77% with it to 39% without it. It was just night and day different. Now, Green Bay uh, is terrible against play action, clearly. And Seattle had a lot of success using it in the game last week. Seattle is actually above average in usage of play action over the course of the season. But San Francisco is the third best team with play action rate in the entire NFL. Okay, Um, San Francisco runs it 45 percent of the time on early downs in the first three quarters. The league average is 36 percent. Their third best and third most usage of play action in the NFL. Their splits with play action when they do use it are ridiculous off the charts, lower sack rate, higher yards per attempt, higher success rate. So they're better when they use it. They also use it a lot. And then let's tie it back to what happened week 12 when they played week 12 and they used play action. They had an 83% success rate, 20.3 yards per attempt, one touchdown, and a perfect 158.3 passer rating. When they didn't use it, 83% success dropped down to 50. 20 yards per attempt dropped down to 9.4, which guess what? It's still good, 9.4. They also threw a touchdown without it, but they absorbed three sacks when they didn't use play action. They weren't sacked at all when they used it. So we need the San Francisco 49ers, the Kyle Shanahan, to what, what, what's a common theme? Do what they've been doing. Do what they do over the course of the year. And do what they do the most in the NFL. I'll never forget. I think it was like our first episode where I was like, we have no statistics to base any of these thoughts off of for week one. And I said, how do you know if a team is going to do what you think they should do? And you said it's important to look at what they normally do because odds are that's what they're going to do. And the fact that the three things that the the Niners do the most are the three things that will be most effective, it's the perfect storm. We don't have to hope that they do anything different. They're already built to destroy this defense. That's why the first result was not a fluke. Uh, The Green Bay Packers defense, simply put, does not match up well with the things that the San Francisco 49ers do. They don't have to do something like Seattle did last week where yeah, try to do something their whole philosophy. Yeah. Use a lot more pre-snap motion, you know, throw the ball a lot more to the middle of the field, these types of things. 
San Francisco already does the things that the Green Bay Packers are horrific defending. And they also had a ton of success in the first meeting doing it. These are not things that Green Bay's defense is going to be able to come in and say, oh, well, let's fix this one minor thing and this other minor thing. And then we'll probably have success because maybe we won't be exposed. This is crap that Kyle Shanahan is going to use over and over and over again to gain success here. All right. Now, with all that being said, that nah, I went and I checked out the over because I was like, okay, well, it's at 46. I, it sounds like the Niners are going to do their part to get me to that. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't sound like I'm worried about that side of the football. Now the question comes, can Aaron, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, who was sacked, I believe, six times in that game, Can that side of the football and Kyle Shanahan's former understudy, Matt LaFleur, can he figure out a way to battle against the Niners defense that early on was dominant, came back to life, and a lot of teams were able to figure out, but then looked the part against Minnesota. Can they figure out something on that side of the ball to make this a high-scoring game? Can you see anything there? Um. I think that the Green Bay Packers had extreme good fortune of going up against a defense of the Seattle Seahawks last week. Um, I think their success against a crappy defense um, is not going to be what's going to help them uh, in this game. The pass rush, like pretty much everything about the 49ers defense is leaps and bounds better than what Seattle's defense offers. Um, So we can't really look at that game as our kind of barometer for what Green Bay's offense is going to do. The other problem for Green Bay's offense is if you look around the league at some of the games that they've played recently, um, they really haven't faced that many really good defenses. Uh, You know, they played the Detroit Lions in week 17. They match up really well against the Vikings, so that kind of skews their performance there. They're just Their matchups are much different against Minnesota, so kind of toss that one out. You play the Chicago Bears, whose offense isn't very good, uh, back in Week 15. And then before that, you're playing these are the teams that you're playing the, the three other weeks besides the San Francisco 49ers. The Redskins defense, the New York Giants defense, and the Carolina Panthers defense. All these teams rank bottom 10 in the NFL. They're terrible defenses. So I have extreme concerns against uh, what this Green Bay Packers offense is going to look like. What their best hope here is, is to run the football. The strength of the 49ers clearly is their pass defense. It's always been great matchups when Aaron Rodgers plays a Richard Sherman team, right? (laughs) Richard Sherman from those days in Seattle, like, Sometimes, remember when he would just go away from Richard Sherman completely, just avoid that side of the field entirely. Uh, he hasn't been doing that as much lately, but his success when throwing to Richard Sherman's side of the field has not been very good. Uh, in the last meeting in week 12, when he threw to Richard Sherman's side of the field, 2.4 yards per attempt and a 31% success rate. Um, when he threw to Richard Sherman's side of the field in the 2018 matchup, uh, seven. 7.9 yards per attempt, which is good, and a 38% success rate, which is not good, but he was much better throwing to the opposite side of the field. So um, I'm just looking at, in general, which side of the field is he throwing to, not if yeah. he's targeting Richard Sherman or not. But 
you're going to want to be able to run the football here because that is the weakness of the San Francisco 49ers defense. I was a little bit shocked by the way Stefanski was running the football to the interior. Uh, Especially when you told us last week that the way to attack that defense was to run outside the left tackle. Exactly. So you're going to need Aaron Jones, who does a fair amount of runs to the outside left tackle, to do that more consistently later today, maybe or tomorrow, uh, sometime before the game. I'll tweet out like the the splits of his run directions versus what the San Francisco 49ers defense allows. But they are going to have to use that a little bit more often. Uh, make no mistake, this game is going to be closer than the last game, right? You have these rematches. They're never lopsided score when one team has a lot of success that being said you know Aaron Rodgers catching seven and a half points seems like a pretty good bargain to a lot of people um, but that line is high for a reason and part of the reason is because of the inherent matchups advantages that the San Francisco 49ers have uh, and I, I think actually San Francisco is the side that offers a little bit of value in this one also, the thing I hear from that is the thing that sucked about the San Francisco game last week is I had all the confidence in the world that the Niners were going to hold up their end of the bargain in helping me try and get to the over. But I didn't know if Minnesota would be able to, and other than that one digs play, they couldn't. The fact that Green Bay has to have more success than eight points that they did last time, and that it seems like they're really starting to integrate Aaron Jones a little bit more, do you see value in that 46 in an over possibility just with all of the success that you expect the Niners offense to have? It's it's really interesting, right? Because Kyle Shanahan wants to get back to that Super Bowl. He wants to erase the bad taste of it in his mouth um, from the prior uh, time when he was in the Super Bowl and lost a lead because he wasn't running the football enough. Um, and oh, using that's interesting. The, and so now you got the scenario where they're going to test the run defense of the Green Bay Packers. And the Green Bay Packers are better against the pass than the run. Yeah. Green Bay on the season ranked number 10 against the pass, but number 23 against the run. So uh, the reason why it was such a difficult matchup, and granted, I mean, Seattle lost the cover by a half point, right? So we're, we're talking as if, like, Seattle wasn't in the game, didn't have a chance or any of this type of thing when they were more than in that game. But the reason why it was terrible was because Seattle couldn't attack that weakness. Like Marshawn Lynch was horrific in that game, aside from the two one-yard touchdown runs. Um, but they still gave him like 12 other carries in the game. And he averaged very low success rate in yards per carry. Uh, he couldn't attack that weakness. But when you have a legitimately good rushing attack, like the San Francisco 49ers do, you have a team who's legitimately bad stopping the run, which hasn't been on display or wasn't on display last week, for example. And that's the only thing that we've seen from Green Bay in the postseason. I definitely think Kyle's going to have some success running the football. So if Seattle, sorry, if San Francisco does get a lead here and it's the second half, how much are they going to put pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo dropping back against that pass rush? You know, how much are they going to just say, hey, let's just run the football here? So that's the issue. That's the only issue that I could see with the total is what you don't want to have happen is you don't want San Francisco to get out to a slight lead with Green Bay struggling and Aaron Rodgers struggling against this defense and then San Francisco going into a run heavy shell. Gotcha. All right, so it's funny. All week I've been saying I could see the Chiefs blowing out the Titans and I could see Niners-Packers being close. And then Warren comes on here today, flips my brain, tells me that Chiefs-Titans is going to be close, but he could definitely see the Niners you know, taking it to the Packers. 
That's why I, I listen am, to you. And we'll go we'll go on record. I am using the matchup edges and all the analytics and everything that I've used over the course of the season. I have not placed a wager on either of these two sides. So I've yet to do any of that, which is why if I had done that, I would right. be telling you what I did. I haven't done either of those uh, situations. I think the bookmakers set pretty decent numbers here, attracting like that two-way action. So far, we really haven't seen a lot of movement off of the openers. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see where the sharp money ends up coming in closer to kickoff. Um, and and if I do choose to take one of these sides, uh, which one I end up taking. But so far, I, I could see logical arguments for, like you said, the Titans trying to be able to keep that game close and for San Francisco having more success than people might think. We're going to call crack now. Which sides do you think he's going to take? If you had to, if you had to get, if we had to bet really quick on cracks sides. He's going to like Green Bay, I think. Okay. I don't know about the other game, but I've had a discussion with him already on these. Good morning. Crackalaka. Hey, how are you doing, guys? You Good. know what? You always ask us that. How are you, Bill Krakenberger? Good. Just sitting in my car. I was actually reading some of the Westgate future lines, which uh, Warren and I were talking about yesterday a little bit. For and NFL just, uh, for next season? Well, no, no, no. no. The, actually, they, they, they put up, which some of the uh, sports books are putting up, uh, early uh, possible matchups like Chiefs and 49ers. You know, the, every every single matchup is up there. So, gotcha. like, like uh, Chiefs 49ers is now minus one, which Warren and I talked about last night. I thought it was Pickham, which I thought was a good line for the Chiefs. I, I, I think if the Chiefs and 49ers both win, I think that the line won't, will not be Pickham. And I seen it right away, and, and uh, I actually played a little bit on it. I should have played more. I could have played more. They they were taking. If you put money on that, and then those teams don't make the Super Bowl, is that just lost money? No, 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 okay. no. It's just a refund. Gotcha. It's a, it's a, yep, just a refund. So uh, that that's a possible matchup, and and then they you know, they, they have all four matchups: Forty uh, ers minus five and a half over Titans, the Chiefs minus four and a half over Packers, and the Packers minus one and a half over Titans, which is you know very hard that that, that, that matchup will come up. But yeah. Um, it's it, it just they, they put up a lot of fun props on uh, even though it's not Super Bowl these these uh, these conference these 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 division games here these I'm mean, sorry these conference championships there's a ton of props much more this year than previous Play, like years player before. props or what kind of props are exciting oh yeah they'll, they'll they'll be much more that's uh, where I live th- there's going to be much more props than previous years and it's probably because. The sports betting now in all these jurisdictions, the East Coast, uh, DraftKings, FanDuel, points bet. These places are, are putting up a ton of props. You know what uh, else it is, the- too, is people are now getting so comfortable with betting. And I know that you advise people to have a bankroll and don't bet more in the playoffs than you do in the regular season. But what happens is, is instead of being able to bet seven or eight games, they're trying to bet seven or eight times in one game. And so I want to bet the Chiefs, but I also want to bet Kelsey, and I also want to bet a first half under. And and we th- people want to get their normal action, but they have to do it in two games. People get so excited. There's three NFL games left, and I know everyone's going to overbet because it's just the thing to do. It's a it's the weekend. It's especially on the East Coast there, especially those New Jersey sports books. People go to a sports book with fifteen hundred bucks in their pocket. 
and they're supposed to bet two to three percent on their games. Let's face it, they're going all in. Yeah, it's going to be five hundred on three games. It is not <laughs> normal, <laughs> well, crack. It's not normal out here yet. It's out out where you normal. are, it's so normal that it's it's everyday life here. Yeah. You know, like I I have you know like friends that they're going to go to Parks Casino and they're like I I, I got to get everything in there because it's a trip to go to the casino instead of out west where it's just something normal that you guys are used to. It's still a special occasion here yeah it, it really is it absolutely is especially this is a new thing uh, even though it was there last year uh in, in new jersey and 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 it's a new thing the parks there and you know pennsylvania uh though that that particular just be careful i'm saying this now so hopefully your friends here just be careful on the juice over there at parks i noticed they were charging more than 110 on some uh games during the yeah. season uh on both sides, they were charging like one fourteen. Just, just make sure you know that the right juice should be one ten. I understand props will be a little bit more my, minus one fifteen both sides. Even though here we're uh, at the Westgate minus one ten both sides, but I understand it's one fifteen. That's actually the more normal. I have no problem with that because I, I think people have edges on props certain certain ways. So they should definitely watch uh, their juice on props. Crack and, and sides, sides or totals. Anything of these two games jump out to you right away? Well, you know, um, I tell you, I'm actually surprised to see this morning some some even more action on San Fran. There were some sevens here in town. They have quickly disappeared. Minus seven, minus 20 even disappeared. All seven and a half on San Fran. And, uh, you know, I think teams learn sometimes from uh, from their last game. They played three or four weeks ago. They, they lost by 29 points. I think Green Bay may learn a little bit from that game. And, uh, you know, you got to go by quarterback experience. We've seen it in Baltimore recently. Uh, I, I don't know if Garoppolo has that experience at like Rogers. I, I would lean my first time. I don't really give out NFL sides. I, I actually lean a little bit to green Bay, uh, where, where I may, if it gets to like minus seven and a half minus 15, or if I find a reduced juice spot, I may throw a little peanut on green Bay there. I think, that may be a, well, a you got bet, that at the I'm win not. right now. If you want seven and a half, one fifteen, that's what it is at the win right now. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yep. Yep. I got you. Yeah. No. There, there's uh, this. this it's an interesting games. I know. I, I know Warren may have a different take than me on on uh, on this on this game. So, I think he does. Uh, I'm not. I'm not betting anything strong. Though, that's for sure. But however, I, I, I you know I'm going to bet more on, on props than than anything else, and so much so that I'll be going to New Jersey for ten days. Starting next Friday, I'll be headed to Jersey for, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of good opportunities there. I know last year, I honestly could not bring enough money with me. That's how good the opportunity was. Yeah, that, that is, and it, is it because you, you don't respect the bookmakers as much or there's just. Uh, it's because there's so many different, there's so many different props up. You know, I was at resorts last year filming for Showtime and I ran out of money. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. How did you do? How did you do? I mean, I, I, we won. Oh, I won. I won. I, you know, not like previous years. Previous years, I've won, you know, 20, 30,000. I think I won 4,600 altogether. That's even, that's all in, including having, uh, 3,000 on the Rams at a, at a loss. So, um, it wasn't, it wasn't, believe it or not, it wasn't as good as it normally was. So it's kind of, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but it was kind of upsetting for the time I put in. Um, I've had some really good years on props and, uh, just there at resorts, just to give you an example, DraftKings, they had 
you know, 300 bucks, 400 bucks a prop, 500 bucks a prop, and you could just bet it over and over again. They are so advanced. They had all the kiosks set up. They had like 27 kiosks there where you didn't even have to go to a counter. You could just sit there at the kiosk feeding $100 bills. Uh, really, really advanced. I hope that's the way of the future for all these sports books. Sounds like Crack's perfect day, just sitting at a computer feeding it hundreds. Uh, Crack, yeah. last thing is I think you guys, you and Warren, are both really good at – predicting how these numbers can change before the games on Sunday. Um, because look, everyone that's listening out there, some might like the Packers, some might like San Francisco, Kansas city, Tennessee, how, which sides do you see these lines moving more towards? And do you think it's going to go more towards the, are these totals going to rise too as we get closer to game time and t- people just typically like to bet the over, how do you guys see it? Greg, yeah, you can I, start I first. This morning. A syndicate this morning that, that Warren and I both know, uh, and we haven't talked about this, bet the over San Fran Green Bay. I'm not uh, actually um, betting that, but uh, the I, I, you know sometimes these games on game time, and you'll see more towards the game time, they'll actually come back to the original number. I've seen that a lot the last couple seasons. And uh, like Tennessee, Kansas City, you've you seen it open 51. There was 51s at the major sports books, Pinnacle Crisp, which a lot of the, all the places copy. And uh, went up to 53, and I look, you know, look towards game time for that to come down again. Not maybe not to the 51, which is a key number. Uh, you know, 27, 24. A lot of these games land on these these numbers. So, uh, but I, I look at I look for that one to come down again more towards game time and and come back to the original number. So that 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 does seem to happen. Seems to, you know, I don't like. Why would you bet over 53 now when you could add 51? Or 51 and a half, even even as little as yesterday, I think 51 and a half or 52 in here in Vegas. So I, I think it would have to come down, if anything. How about Warren? Do you think uh, do you think it's going to go more towards like if it, if this San Francisco number keeps growing? I went from seven to seven and a half. Do you think that's going to come closer to Green Bay uh, come uh, game time? How do you think the lines change? Well, first hitting the totals, I agree with Crack. Like, uh, as we discussed on the show, I don't see any more value on betting over at 53 uh, when I did, whereas I did a little bit at 51. So I don't think that much more money or, or the line will move that higher on uh, that total. Um, the San Francisco Green Bay total, I tend to agree with Crack a little bit there as well. I mean, it did get hit to the over. If that thing possibly got to 47, I bet we see under money come in at 47. Um, I wouldn't be rushing to bet the under at 46, 46 and a half. It's kind of a, a little bit of a more dead number. I'd wait to see if we could get some under money there. In terms of the sides, um, yeah, I, I definitely would think that Aaron Rodgers is going to attract some nice game time money uh, at catching seven and a half. And if it got to eight, certainly at eight as well. Um, so I would imagine that that you're not going to see a lot more sharp money that's going to bang San Francisco to raise this line above eight. Uh, and definitely, I think that some of the guys in groups would be taking uh, Green Bay come game time at at a, at a number, basically going contrarian against the first matchup, right? The first matchup was a massive San Francisco win um, and taking Rodgers with the points there. Awesome. All right, Crack, anything else before we let you go? No, man, just say, hey, Adam, you know, I really want to, I haven't said it yet. I just want to say congrats on the NBA gig. Uh, I'll be watching, and yeah, I know you'll be fantastic. I love that uh, commercial I've seen with you and, and Dwayne Wade. Awesome, man. Great job. It's crazy, man. I appreciate that a lot. We are uh, two two Tuesdays away 
right around the corner, Tuesday of Super Bowl week. Not like I have anything else to focus on that week, huh? Just one big game. Uh, Can't wait, brother. Crack, I appreciate you. As always, download the Crack Wins app. One of the good guys in the business, someone that really tries to give people good, useful information. Bill Krakenberger, love you, buddy. Thanks. Love you guys. See ya. See ya. Ooh, I got to love you out of them. That was nice. Um, Warren, uh, anything else you want to say before we roll out of here? No, not really. Um, I'm, I'm excited for these games. I think we gave a good breakdown. There's only two of them. We hit them pretty hard. And, uh, you know, obviously looking forward to the Super Bowl here in a couple of weeks and uh, hanging out down in Miami, recording live from uh, Miami with you down there. Really quick question. Oh, by the way, great point. Uh, to all the homies, 33%, if anybody is going to be down in Miami, we are going to have a setup down there, uh, and it's going to be right around where Rich Eisen is and Dan Patrick, and we will be recording some live shows. Uh, I know Warren and I will be doing one Thursday morning. Uh, Westbrook and I will be joining some people for Friday afternoon, and then I'm also hosting a Ditch the Playbook game show Wednesday afternoon at around 4, 4.30. Uh, I do not remember the address of this place. If Ingber has it in his brain and wants to tell me, we can do that. If not, I will be putting it out on social media. Uh, but if you're down there in Miami for the games, join us. Why not? It'll be a lot of fun. Um, Warren, you're the fucking man. I appreciate you. Kick ass on whatever it is you're doing today. I don't know. Warren has a, a wild life, and I'm just trying to ride a little wave. Uh, for Warren Sharp, I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E man, and we will holla, holla, holla at you later.